out of bed this morning. Come on. Who got out of bed this morning? Give yourself a hand. Come on. Yeah. I know you guys feel like you need to start off your day with some nice exercise every day. Um, today is a special day. It is Palm Sunday. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Pastor Adam Carroll, and I want to close the service as we like to do here. Uh, we just came along on a beautiful wife, Tanya. Today is an extra special day because today's her birthday. So, uh, yeah, happy birthday. We're not going to sing her happy birthday to her because we're too familiar with her. Uh, it's her birthday. If you see the beautiful girl in the white denim jacket that was playing the piano on stage, that's Tanya. Tell her happy birthday. Uh, it's your birthday. Thank you for telling me. When it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's all about me. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Uh, it's a it's a special day. Today's Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, and people were yelling Hosanna and and worshiping him and celebrating him. And the thing that hit me in the face this morning was that the very same people that were yelling Hosanna and praising him today, next Sunday, were yelling Crucify him, Crucify him, put him on the cross and kill him. Yeah, I want to hear about, uh, like, I, w- I want that. 
like to read a lot about and, and study and, and, and be more intellectual. Um, but that's but that's not who I am. So I'm not going to try to be someone this morning that I'm not. Does that am, am I am I sort of playing up here and, and you know, okay. some of you? <laughs> I, I thought normally I'm really good about not. That's the relationship that we have. And uh, anyway, so I'll let you preach this Our theme verse for the uh, for this series is in First Corinthians chapter two, verses one and two. Um, out of the message translation, because I think that it really um, hits the nail on the head when it talks about about kind of the goal of Jesus and, and what what uh, the story of Jesus, I should say. Um, it says this. It says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, like Paul is saying, this is the greatest part of the story. The, the greatest part of the God story is, is Jesus, this master stroke. He goes on and he says, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches in the latest philosophy. He's saying, I didn't try to impress you and, and convince you about Jesus. It's kind of what I'm trying to say this morning. He's just saying a little bit better than I am. And it's like it's about the relationships and not the the intellectual side of things. Carry on. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then what he did, Jesus crucified. So what Paul is saying is I met I kept it plain and simple. I first told you who he is, is and now I'm going to talk about First of all, we have to look at him, at him through the, through our context, like through our eyes. Like we have to look at him. What what do I say about Jesus? Um, but I think as 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 a father, I, I I think 
know, what is what does my family need to think about? And and then at the end of the day, then I'm going, what is what is the culture saying about Jesus? And that's kind of where it comes in my role of, of telling people about about who he is and making him known. Um, I think if we were to look at culture, and this isn't about culture, but I think if we were to look at what culture says about Jesus today, I think uh, we quickly realize how much culture is in trouble. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I'll talk about in a little while is that there's, and one of the things that I've talked about previously is that there's God's way and there's the world's way. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's, it's black and white. Like, I say unfortunately because our culture doesn't like it black and white. Our culture doesn't like it cut and dry. Our culture doesn't like that you have to choose one. Like, we want it to be all-inclusive. We want it to be tolerant. We want it to, we want it to coexist and make, sure, and make, make it all okay. And I wish it were true. See, our culture doesn't like Jesus as God because what happens is Jesus puts a human face on the God we serve. Jesus puts a human face on the God that, they, that we say we love. Jesus puts a human face to the God that we stand at the podium and we thank God for giving us this award, for giving us the gifts that he has given us. And he makes it as human beings, we don't really like that because whatever reason, you know, you can figure it out yourself, but for some reason, we don't like to put a human face to God, but God has a human face and it's Jesus. It doesn't matter how jacked up of a picture of his face that we have. Like, let me tell you, that's one reason why we have so many pictures at the op- in the opening video because um, really messed up what we think that he looks like because my, my finger just like it's just not who he was it's just this middle eastern descent like the picture of Jesus is not middle eastern descent from the middle eastern descent of people who have a some sort of the people that drive in the middle east don't look like Jesus that's, that's what we should feel like John chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 if you turn your Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, 
I'm sorry, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Now, let me just take time out real quick. When I was in Sunday school, I learned that when, uh, actually, when I was in elementary school, I learned that when words are capitalized, that's important, right? And usually they're capitalized because they're the name of a place, the name of a, of a person. And so, as you notice, our Bibles, has, if, you, if you're in your Bible, you notice that the word, word, is capitalized. And so that tells me it's important. And so that tells me that um, through deeper study, I've, I've learned that the word, word there is representing Jesus. Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word. The, the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through him. And nothing that was created except through him. The word gave life. And everything that was created in his life brought light to everyone. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. At the beginning of verse 26 it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Jesus, we believe that, that the God is... Has three, that God has three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone that went through CTV knows that one, right? All our Catholic brothers and sisters out there went through CTV. No? Okay. I didn't think anyone went through CTV. You guys are welcome to laugh. You guys are welcome to cry. You guys are welcome to shout. But um, my stomach starts to freak out at the beginning of this. Um, or if I'm just lame, just, just sit there. Some of you guys are like, oh, that's why he likes for us to laugh and to, to clap and things like that, because he doesn't want us to get disappointed. Oh. You see, part of the problem that we have with Jesus isn't just that he puts a human face to God, but it's the claims that he made, right? So the problem that people have with Jesus isn't just his face. It's that he actually made claims when he lived this, on, this, on this earth. And some of the claims that he made were pretty, pretty crazy if you think about it. The first claim that I want to talk about, I want to talk about two claims that Jesus made when he was on the earth. The first one was Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. Now, if you think about it, and if you look at scripture, um, never in the Bible does it say Jesus is God. However, in the Bible, it does say Jesus is Lord. It does say that Jesus is Lord. Um, the Bible um, says that Jesus is Lord. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is, is, is tempted in the wilderness with, with Satan. And, and what happens is, is as he's led into the wilderness, Jesus uses scripture to combat the attacks that Satan takes. And one of the things that Jesus says to Satan is, not tempt the Lord your God. Do not tempt the Lord your God. And so in that in that story, Jesus, even though he doesn't say that he is God, he says you can't tempt the Lord your God. And so that is one of the claims that Jesus made. Jesus' Lord is all over the New Testament. And, but to fully understand the word Lord, we have to dig a little bit into the Old Testament. So this is, this is again, this blew, it, it blew my mind. In the Old Testament, there's this word. The word is Yahweh, right? It's, it's a Hebrew word. It's a name for God. 
the Hebrew Scriptures, that when Jewish people would read the Hebrew Scriptures, and any time the word Yahweh would appear, they would not say it. In fact, they would substitute the word with the word Adonai. So they changed the word from Yahweh to Adonai because Adonai means Lord. And it means what Yahweh means, but it's not as holy as the word Yahweh. Today, to this very day, if you were to go to a Jew, Jewish synagogue and they were to read the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, when they're reading the Hebrew Scriptures and the word Yahweh comes, then they say the word Adonai because Yahweh is too holy. So, when people in the New Testament and the in the Messianic scriptures, the scriptures that talk about Jesus as Messiah, when people um, refer to Adonai, they refer to him as Lord, what they're saying is that Jesus is God. I hope that makes sense to you. One of the claims that he made was that he is God. John chapter 8, there's a story. Um, and let me just say, sometimes I'm embarrassed to be a religious leader honest with you. And, and there's, in fact, I think there's three different times in my sermon this morning that, that I'll point out what religious leaders do in Jesus' life because they're, they're always questioning him. They're always, they're always questioning him and never honoring him. Ladies and gentlemen, religious people will question authority and not honor authority. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders are questioning him. And, and, and this is my favorite claim that Jesus makes. Because previously in Exodus chapter 13, Moses is, is going back and forth with God. And Moses says to God, God, who should I tell Pharaoh has sent me? Like when Pharaoh says, who sent you? Who should I tell him has sent me? And and. God says to him, tell him, I am has sent you. Did anybody hear the name I am for God before? And so in John chapter 8, Jesus is, is arguing with these religious folks about Abraham and talking about, about how Jesus was before Abraham. And they're going, how can you say that you've seen Abraham when you're way younger than he is and he's been dead forever? Like, like how can you say that? And Jesus says, I am. And I don't know about you, but I just think that it's so gangster of Jesus. Like, like, mic drop, gangster, like, confident. If I can, I hope you don't mind the preacher saying gangster, but that was pretty gangster. Baller, whatever you want to say. Like, it's just like, mic drop, in your face, confident, boom, I am. What's up now? That's exactly what he said. Jesus was human. claimed to be God. The second thing that he claimed was, he claimed to be the only way. And again, this is the part that we as human beings hate. He is the only way. In John chapter 14, verse 6 through 7, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. For now you know him. You've seen me, you've seen my father. When, when you look at me, you know what? Like, as much as I hate it sometimes, you see my dad in me. 
really is. Dad, if you're listening to this podcast, I promise I'm proud of you and thank you. He says, when you see me, you've seen my father. And we've, we've looked at Matthew chapter 7 for the last three weeks. It says, the, the Bible says that heaven is a narrow gate. It's, it's, it's small, it's skinny, but, but broad is the way to destruction. Like, like the, the way to hell is, is, is this big, broad road, but the, the gate to heaven is real itty-bitty, small and skinny. Like, it's hard to get to heaven. The problem is we live in a world that we want the broad road. We think that heaven needs to be the broad road. We think that heaven needs to be easy. But Jesus said, I am the only way that you can get to God. I am the only way that you can get to heaven. And we don't like that. God's way, the world's way, you have a choice this morning. It's the proverbial fork in the road. Proverbial fork in the road. Boom, got it. I'm watching my wife in the back. I think if you were to get to that fork in the road, as you get to the fork, the proverbial fork in the road. Why did I put that word in my notes anyway? Because you can. Six relationships, Adam. Six relationships, Adam. Do what you do. So you get to the fork in the road. I think that there's a question. Like, like there's there's a question that's that's listed on that fork in the road. And the question is, who This way, which is the world's way, which this way would say you, you were a good man, you were, you were a prophet, you were, um, you know, you, you did good things on this earth. Um, or there's the other way that says you are the way to get to heaven, you are the way to get to God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the only way that I can do, that I can, that I can get to where I want to go. It's a, it's a fork in the road that we all, every single 100% of the people in this room will get to that fork in the road. And some of you will be there this morning. And we hope to help show you and hope help you choose God's way instead of the world's way. You see, my job this morning isn't to prove to you that, is, that, he, that God is, that he is God. My job this morning is to show you that when you believe that Jesus is God, that you will help them. I can't choose for you. I wish I could. Because you'd all go to heaven. But at the end of the day, it has to be your choice. It has to be my choice. As a parent, you know that's the hardest thing. To get your kids to choose. You guys, all of you parents out there, you know exactly what I'm saying. You want your kids to choose the thing that's healthy to eat. Not the candy. Not the thing that's going to destroy their teeth and make your dentist bill go up. Like, you want them to choose healthy choices. You want them to choose the right things. You want them to date the right girl. You want them to date the right boy. You, you want them to choose what is good for them. But you can't make it for them. And it's the same way with, with me and, and, 
with preaching every week. I can't make you do it the right way. I can't make you go down the right road. But I can show you that what the right road looks like. I can show you that what you get to experience when you go down that road is enough to be able to be grateful for it. Jesus wants us all to experience really two things. Number one, he wants us to experience his power. He wants us to experience his power. Now, with each one of these these things that we experience, um, I want to give you an action step. An action step to take with each one. The action step with God's power is desperation. You've got to be desperate for it. You've got to want it. My brother John Short, that Darren talks about, found himself in a desperate place with Jesus. And because we're part of a network of main churches, we're part of a lot of different networks. We're part of a national network, but we belong to a, a network of main churches. The, ch- the churches in Maine that we are part of, that we're a part of, called Mission Maine, got together this last week and took up an offering, and we're able to give them over five thousand dollars to help them. Because we're in it together, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not throwing that number out there to, to pat ourselves on the back. I'm throwing that number out there to show you that God's power works through us. God's power works through the church. God's power works through us as individuals. God's power works through His Holy Spirit. And He enables us to experience His power every single day of our lives. He wants us to experience His power. We just have to be desperate for it. 1 John chapter 9 there's a story about a man by the, uh, that, that we don't know his name. My favorite stories in the Bible about are the stories about the people that we don't know their name. The prodigal son, I don't know his name. It's my favorite story. Uh, the, the woman at the well, we don't know her name. The adulterous woman, we don't know her name. I love stories in the Bible that we don't know their name. But the story is about this blind man that was that was born blind. He was blind from birth. And the Bible actually says that the whole reason why he was born blind was so that God could get glory. It's like, wow. You're like, man, I, I just want God to get glory in my life. How bad do you want God to get glory in your life if you're willing to be blind? Because this man was blind so that God could get glory in it's a remarkable story because what happens is, is, is Jesus comes to him and, and he, he picks up some dirt. And Jesus just, just spits a loogie right in his hand with the dirt. Like, I'm sure it was like a nasty one. Just, like, all of it, right? Like, you guys were waiting for it. I might as well do it. He, he grabs the dirt. He spits in his hands, and he creates mud. And he wipes, he gets the mud in his hands. And this blind man, I would say that he was looking at Jesus, but that would be a bad joke. He wasn't looking at him. He doesn't know what's going on. But Jesus is there, and he spits in his hand, and he's rubbing it. And he's creating mud in his hands. 
and he smears the mud all over the man's face. And the man could see it now. How desperate do you have to be to have somebody smear mud on your face, ladies and gentlemen? The man could see again. But guess who heard about it? The religious leaders. They heard about it. And they started questioning the guy that was blind. Who do you say that man is? Look at, look at, look at John chapter 9, verse 17. It says, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion of the man that healed you? What's your opinion of that teacher? What's your opinion? What do you think of him? Verse 25, we jump down. It says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I do know that I was blind and now I can see. Woo! Like the proof is in our life, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't know what he's been up to. I don't know what's going on in his, but I, I, I can now see again. Like I know what he's done for me. I don't know about that, but I knew, do know about this. Ladies and gentlemen, some of us just need to focus on what we do know. Stop, stop allowing the doubt enter your mind and start remembering what God has done for you in the past and focus on that. God that wants us to experience power, but the question is, are you willing, are you desperate enough to be willing to allow him to smear mud on your face? How desperate are you? And here's the thing about God's power, this is what I love about it, is we think that God's power has to be about miracles, and it has to be about making the blind see, and, and God hearing, healing cancer, and and, and these desperate moments, figure out whatever desperate moment, like that God's power has to be him giving Pastor John a new house. Like, like we, we, we tend to paint God into this picture, into this corner and make him think that, make us think that like the only way that God is powerful is if he looks like this or if he does this or if he does that. But ladies and gentlemen, the only miracle that I need to see to experience God's presence in my life is a forgiven heart. When I experience the forgiveness that he offers me, that's the very miracle that I need. And I want you to know that the miracle of forgiveness is offered to all of us. There's another story in the scripture where the Pharisees once again hear about, hear about, about the forgiveness that Jesus is offering. What they say, and Jesus, it's, it's when he's healing this, this man that's paralyzed. And what Jesus, Jesus knows what they're thinking, the scriptures say, and I love that. But then I hate that because I'm like, wait a minute, he knows what they're thinking, he knows what I'm thinking. That's a problem. <laughs> he looks at the, at the religious men in the room and he goes, which is easier for me to say, get up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? I don't know about you, but the, all the junk in my life that I have done, I say it's easier to say get up and walk than it is for me to, to for him to look at me and say your sins are forgiven. I know what you have done. The only power that we have to experience in order for God to prove who He is in our lives is the miracle of forgiveness. And here's what's great about forgiveness: 
is that I get to experience it as God gives it to me, but I also get to experience it as I give it to other people. It's a miracle that I get to exercise in my life by doing it for other people. It's a miracle that God allows me to perform every day. That gets to me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in the beginning of it, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When Jesus died and he left us with the Holy Spirit, he left us with the power that Jesus The second way that we can experience Jesus that he wants us to is he wants us to experience his presence. He wants us to experience his presence. The action step in experiencing God's presence is worship. Worship. We experience God's God's power by being desperate. We experience God's presence by worshiping him. If God doesn't show up with his presence every day in my life, then I'm in trouble. If he doesn't show up with with his presence every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 406 Gray Road in Wyndham, Maine, then guess what? We're, We're in trouble. If God's presence doesn't show up here every Sunday morning, then you might as well be coming to another uh, another concert for your kids at Wyndham High School, put on by Wyndham Primary School and Wyndham Middle School and whatever school your kids go to because that's all it is. We have to have God's presence. God's presence makes all the difference in this room. I hope that his presence has already made a difference in you today because you walked onto this property. You see, we... We pray every Saturday morning for God's presence to come in. In fact, we don't just pray on Saturday morning. We pray Monday. We pray every day of the week for God's presence to be here. We pray that from the moment your tires hit the pavement on the on the property, from the moment your tires hit the pavement of the of the parking lot, that you would experience God's power, God's presence. We call it from the street to the sea. That we want you to experience God's presence from the street to the sea. That's why we have people at the awning to greet you. That's why we have a team of people to greet you to say, welcome again. Because you, we want you to experience God's presence. That's why we worship together. So that we can invite his presence into our life. But if I could get real for a second. If I could just get, get a little personal here for a second. This is why you have to be on time. don't want you to miss out on the presence of God. This is why you need to be here. Because we don't want you to miss out on the presence of God. We need God's presence. If I don't have God's presence in my life, then all I am is just another man that moves to Maine. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 through 25 says, But if all you are, sorry, but if all of you are prophesying, then unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. Verse 25 is the key. As they listen, as you listen this morning, their secret thoughts will be exposed. And they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is the only one.
Ladies and gentlemen, that is why we need God's presence. Because his presence makes all the difference. God's presence makes a difference in our life. Our worship illustrates to others that God is among us. That God is here. Some of you, um, one of my favorite things that I hear since, since starting a church is, wants us to experience his peace. The way we experience peace, the action step in experience peace is to pray. To pray. When we pray, we experience peace. John chapter 14, verse 1 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's Jesus speaking. Verse 27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The peace that you are seeking is a peace that can only come from Jesus. It's a peace that the world tries to offer, but the world falls short every time. He gives us peace for every situation of our life. Situations of our house burning down, situations of being without a job, situations of having a wayward child, situations of, of death. He offers peace in all of those things. Can I just say, from the bottom of my heart, that whatever you are facing, That is uncertain. Jesus offers you peace. The fact of the matter is, is that it is a 100% probability that someone in this room is facing something that they're afraid of. Something that terrifies them. Something that scares you. I don't know what that is. I could, I could get up here and I could pretend... Holy Spirit told me that someone in this room, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play games. Because I know that it's a 100% probability that someone here is facing something that you don't want to face. But Jesus is saying, See, the world's way has, it tries to give you that peace. But God's way promises that peace and it comes free. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, one of my favorite verses in the scripture says, Don't worry about anything instead. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds all anything that, he, that we can understand. His peace will guard 
your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The, the King James Version says, it's a peace that passes all understanding. When you can't understand it, when it doesn't make sense, there will be a peace. But it all starts with prayer. It all starts with giving it to him. You see, the world's way says try to figure it out alone, but God's way says give it to me and I'll do it for you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus. That's why we want you to know him, ladies and gentlemen, so that you can experience the peace that he offers. Carry on, verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Ladies and gentlemen, we want you to know God because we want you to experience his power, we want you to experience his presence, and we want you to experience his peace. But ladies and gentlemen, number four is the most important thing. That is that we want you to experience public peace. So we're going to do things a lot differently today. We're going to we're going to observe the Lord's Supper as a way of response. Um, but I, I want to invite you to, to do me this favor: bow your heads and close your eyes. We don't we don't do the Lord's Supper here every week. That's just not our flow. Jesus said that as often as we do it. Number four is the most important thing, that we would experience salvation through Jesus. You see, next Sunday we'll celebrate the fact that Jesus came back to life. Next Sunday we'll celebrate that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again so that so that we could give our hearts over to Him. We want you to experience life, but we want you to experience before next Sunday. We want you to experience now. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So before we we observe with the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you, if you've never received Jesus, say this prayer with me. Just right where you sit, from your heart, just say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have done wrong. And because I've done wrong, I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I ask Him to come into my life to save me by His blood that He shed for Right now, God, I choose your way. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We're about to enter into what is known as the Lord's Supper. There's a couple different places in the scriptures that talk about the Lord's Supper, but 
One of my favorites is in, is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes about, about the Lord's Supper. He highlights some things that are really important. One of the things that he highlights is to make sure that when we take the Lord's Supper, when we observe the Lord's Supper, that we do it in a worthy manner. That we not eat or drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. So, when we do the Lord's Supper, we've got bread and we've got juice. The way we do it, and it's not the perfect way. There's no perfect way to do communion. We don't, we don't really even know how Jesus did this. But we take a loaf of bread and we we do the rip and dip method. You can chuckle at that if it's funny. The rip and dip method where you just rip off a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice and you, and you take it. Now, we don't ever want to get caught up in the action, but we want to get caught up in the heart. So Jesus said, don't do it in an unworthy manner. I want to explain that for you. When I was a kid growing up, anytime we'd be playing outside and we'd come into the, into the house for dinner time, my mom would say, Adam, did you wash your hands? I'd go wash my hands. You see, anytime we observe the Lord's Supper, the way we wash our hands is by observing our hearts making sure that our heart is in the right place. Making sure that our hands are clean. But there were some days that I would come home from playing outside and maybe I had been playing kickball on the grass with my shoes off. And my feet were dirty. I would go to the sink and I would wash my hands for dinner, but I wouldn't have to wash my feet. I'd do that in the tub later on. You see, washing your hands by observing our heart doesn't mean that your life is is perfect. Washing your hands and observing your heart doesn't mean that your life is, is perfect, doesn't mean that you have to be perfect right now. There are things that are dirty in your life that you'll address later on, but right now you have to take a look at your heart. And say, God, I'm to you. I want to experience your power. I want to experience your presence. I want to experience your peace, God. I want to experience you in my life. I want to know you, God. I give you my heart. And the reason we do bread is because the bread represents the body that was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood that was shed.
take it. And you, if, you want, if you're more comfortable bringing it back to your seat and to, to taking it there, then you can do that. But I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we're going to observe this, the Lord's Supper. And then at the end, um, we're going to come back and we're going to sing a song. God, I thank you. I thank you that I can come before you, that I can walk into the throne room of grace, that I can experience your forgiveness, all because of what Jesus did for me. God, that it was because he shed his blood on the cross, that my sins are forgiven, and it's because he came back to life that I can live Supper, we do it to remember you. We do it to, to remember all that you have done 